In this episode of the Burritos, Breaks, and Flies podcast, we welcome back Stillwater legend, Phil Raleigh. We love having him on board. Man, we learned so much every time we do a podcast with him. Well, we learned a lot from the first one, and this is the second one. And we're going to kind of really get into the weeds on indicator fishing and with Pyramid kind of getting into full swing right now and those fish getting close to shore this might be a key podcast for you to listen to to really understand and get a grasp on the indicator game so sit back and enjoy and as always we'd love to thank our sponsors loop tackle monic fly lines adams built fishing and battleborn beer without them this wouldn't be possible and welcome to another episode of burritos breaks and flies today we have a repeat guest and we're super stoked to have him back mr phil roley welcome back phil good to be back guys good to be Uh, back yes indeed (laughs) and across from me i have taylor aka the prodigy brune he always refutes it but it is what it is especially now with phil here Oh, okay. Don't be shy. Come on. <laughs> Come on. So, well, thanks again for getting back together with us, Phil. And I think um, we really wanted to discuss with you in depth, or as in depth as we can get, uh, about indicator fishing, mm-hmm. aka to some people I hear call it bobber fishing. And and we touched it. We touched on it briefly in our previous uh, podcast. Uh, but, you know, here locally with Pyramid Lake uh, turning over and we're uh, seeing an increase in the shore fishing, that means one thing. There's going to be a lot of indicators sitting out there. And I see a lot of indicating being done in interesting ways. So I thought this would be a great informational podcast for those folks out on the lake. Because one thing that I've noticed, Phil, is that your techniques work incredibly well over a significant amount of bodies of water that you fish, you know, still water. We're, almost regardless of where you're at, there's a there's a similar technique and, and everything like that. So, um, you know, maybe we can just start off. I don't know how you like to start it off, but like maybe we can just say, for those that don't know, what is indicator fishing? We'll take it from there. Yeah. Well, it's basically, as you said, you've got a bobber on your leader. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, I always joke when I do indicator seminars and every ask, you know, sort of an icebreaker, what's the difference between a bobber and an indicator? And there's always people in the crowd that'll pull out schematics and, you know, and, and definitions. And my, my response is always about four ninety nine. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's no, great. But uh, the indicator, and, and it's kind of funny because the indicator <laughs> is on the sort of presentation evolutionary scale. It's probably the newest sort of general presentation there is. You know, we were always you know, casting and stripping with sinking lines, or when I first learned to fish chronomids and small nymphs, it was a floating line and long leaders that were 15, 18, 25 feet long. And, 
you know, indicators probably, I think I started using them probably in the mid, early to mid 80s and mm. most corkies. And the reason we were interested in using them um, was because of, you know, where I learned to, most of my fly fishing was learned to be done. Still water fishing my introduction was obviously in British Columbia, which has got a really strong um, and vibrant coronamid fishery. And those bugs are small, trout eat them by the gallon, the truckload, whatever measure you want to use. And, uh, but they're very hard to imitate because trout will really, you know, the more bugs that get in the water at a certain depth, the more focused their feeding becomes. It's just an efficient way to do it. They just, they're in 12 feet of water and all those coronamids are suspending 11 feet down or a foot off the bottom. That's where they're going to feed. And they're not, even though they're rich in calories, they're not going to chase one, two feet. They're just going to swim along with their mouth, almost like a basking shark at times, you think, or just slowly turn their head left or right and pick off the ones that right in front of them. So getting your fly at the right depth was the challenge. And that's one of the, and, uh, you know, that's one of the things most people struggle with in lakes is getting their flies to the right depth and keeping them there. And then the next one would be retrieving because they mm -hmm. generally retrieve too fast. They make a cast, the fly hits the water and they're pulling, right? And they just can't, yeah. you got to let it, you know, still waters is different than lakes. There's, you know, it's a lot more relaxed pace, if you will. Um, you know, you got to wait for things to sink and then you got to creepy crawl them back at a ridiculously slow pace. So the indicator allows you to control those two variables very easily um, because your depth, you know, your distance between the indicator and the fly, that's how deep your fly is going to be from start to finish. And your retrieve speed is governed by how little or how much you choose to move the fly. You can just let it sit out there. You can let it sit out and let the wave action sort of animate the fly a little bit. You can strip it back. You can strip it and rest it and pause it. You can hand twist it. You can do lots of different things, right? And, you know, the other, let's be honest, the other fun thing is, is when that little ball a pear-shaped indicator goes under the water. There's only one thing that's doing that, and it's like being a kid again. It's a lot of fun to watch that go down, and it's just deadly effective, and it becomes addictive, right? All of a sudden, you're looking around. I, I had a um, <laughs> one of my Stillwater schools. I had a, a streamer fisherman who fished the Bow River in Calgary, and he was, you know, very dynamic, walking, wading, stripping, casting, mending, stripping, you know, go, 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 and then to sit him in a boat – and make him stare at an indicator. I thought I was going to have to medicate him or something just to get him to slow <laughs> down a little bit. And he says, you know, I was looking around and, and all this stuff, but he says, boy, when that thing went under once, I never let my eyes didn't leave that thing for the rest of the day. Cause he was sort of, he became quickly addicted um, to that pull down. So it's a very, um, it's a very useful technique. It's often frowned upon mm -hmm. um, by, you know, people that just don't think, you know, you should put anything on your leader and that's fine. It's a different method. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. Don't, you don't have to do it. Um, it's also, most people unfortunately tend to think that's all still waters is nowadays, is indicating. Mm. And as we talked in our previous uh, episode, it's not at all. You know, it's just one of the many different techniques. But and I think they also dumb it down a little bit and think it's, oh, it's just stick an indicator on any old leader and fish and flop it out there and you catch fish. And you know, when you sit next to a, you know, a seasoned indicator fly fisher and they're catching lots of fish and you're not and you think you're doing the same thing, it's often subtle differences that make the difference and to be really effective with this method. It's not just a jam, like I said, just stick an indicator on and hope for the best and wait for the inevitable pull down. It doesn't work that way. Right. I think it has that perception of, you know, 
what you see in like old Norman Rockwell paintings where they throw a bobber out there with a worm under it and you wait for something to happen. Yeah. In the meantime, the world's passing you by. Um, I've noticed that there's a lot going on. I mean, yes. especially in the still water and yeah, that perception is very true that most people think of it as a, maybe a, a, a tedious, boring, drawn out type activity, but no, you actually have to keep your eye on that indicator mm-hmm. and you have to visualize what's happening under there, you know, cause what people don't see is a whole lot. I mean, you don't see the bottom, you don't see what fish or bug activities down there. And the one thing, and especially what you can't see, and you know, this feels you can't see currents. Nope. You can't see, you know, that, that top of that lake might be moving left to right, but that bottom could be moving right to left. Yep. Or I've to had and fro, or yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, I've had that before in, in strong windy conditions where you sit, you know, when we indicate our fish, we're fishing from an anchored position to totally control the presentation, casting downwind. And of course, that wind is moving the surface water towards the shore, it hits the shore and rolls under, right? Because mm-hmm. the water's got to go somewhere, it rolls under itself and then tracks back, um, you know, the lower levels, the deeper part is going in the opposite direction, which is bizarre because you're, you know, in a 20 mile an hour or more wind casting downwind, it's almost white caps and watching your indicator go past you on the way back up going, how is that doing that, right? Because right. that heavier weighted fly down below is in that current, just like on a river or stream and is being pulled along with, you know, the indicators going along for the ride, which the first time you ever see it, it's kind of a head scratcher. You wonder what the heck is going on. Yeah, Phil, you know, <clears throat> like especially at Pyramid, you know, we have we have some geothermal activity under that lake yeah. too. You know, you have those hot pockets kind of popping up on yeah. the popcorn rocks and things. And, you know, I think people just, they think of it too simply. Yeah. And there's so much information you can get, just get by watching it. And you're like, huh, you know. Yeah. The wind's blowing this way, but like, you know, my indicator is like on the side. Am I too deep? No, it's the currents like, you know, it's fighting yeah. itself. You know, you got a strong wind up top and a current going the opposite way, you know, and then you're like, well, maybe I should shorten up. And yeah, and, and, of course, it never, and it never gets windy on pyramids. So <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't ever. Um, <laughs> well, and I think, Phil, and the other thing maybe you can speak to um is the fact that to to remove the boring factor from the indicator fishing is even though your perception might be it might just be sitting there or we're we're bringing that in ever so slowly is that you know you have a lot of fishermen that are coming over from river environments you know moving water environments where you're caught you're 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 searching for the fish yep and it's almost kind of like the the roles are reversed where you're not you're not looking at the lake and going, oh, I bet you there's a fish right there. Well, there probably isn't because they're moving. Yeah, and you just, that's you, one of the that's one yeah. of the biggest things is fish yeah. are cruisers in lakes. The water moves. The, sorry, in the rivers, the water moves and the fish doesn't. In simple terms, and in lakes, the fish move and the water doesn't. You know, not in the same. Obviously, as we talked earlier, there there are currents at play, but not yeah. like there are on a river and stream. And it, yeah, it's it's a totally different um, environment, right? It is. It is. And I think uh, I love the fact that how successful you are with coronamid fishing. And I know at, at Pyramid, it, it, at Pyramid, it'll play a role in a certain window, right? Yeah. Um, but we're dealing with, uh, well, how do you put it nicely? Very hungry, aggressive fish. 
yes. aggressive cutthroat that like to eat a lot, you know. So one of the the primary presentations that I like to make is of a, of a larger food source. I don't shy away from the chronomids. Trust me, I'll get them out there when they're hitting them. Yeah, generally that's what they're hitting. They they won't pay attention to anything else. Kind of like you said a little bit earlier in the podcast yep. when they're focused and they, and they yep. find a food source, you know, yep. minimal effort. They just they're eat 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 eat. Yep. You know, but the rest of the time out there, they're searching for bait fish. You know, yeah. they're, they're searching for that steak. They're looking for that hot dog, yeah. you know, floating around in the water. And I think it's kind of cool where you can, you know, you can have the streamer presentation. Like I, I, I love streamer fishing in still waters because it's, you know, it's something that a lot of people picture like, ah, that's an ocean thing or a, a river thing. And it's like, no, it's equally as successful in, um, in the still water, but taking that, and, and taking that bat, that bait fishing instead of dragging it along all over the place, and you're like, you start zeroing in, you start getting really precise. Mm-hmm. You know, where are these guys hunting? You know, and then finding that right pattern, whether it's as you would say, it'd be suggestive or something that would just make them angry as hell. Yeah, you know, or it's spot on. You know, like they're keyed in on a certain type of bait fish that day, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, you so. know, we started fishing, you know, you mentioned we started fishing chronomids. That was the thing that made total sense to fish on an indicator because of the way trout get so fixated on depth when they're feeding. That's probably when it comes to chronomid fishing and people always, everybody always defaults to pattern yeah. because it's the easiest thing to blame when you're not catching fish. It's all a pattern's fault. It's never the, the person driving the pattern, if you will, or, or mm. make, you know, because we're not, uh, unless you know, unless you've been married a long time, you're not used to <laughs> self-evaluation. <laughs> My wife's nowhere near me, but, um, um, but you know, it, it's, um, and, and there's so many other things we imitate now, like the, the next progression was leeches and people often ask me, well, how did you, how did you um, decide to hang a leech under an indicator? And again, mm-hmm. I wish it was thoughtful analysis and you know years of investigation and observation it was uh my son brandon who's 29 now uh, he was about eight or nine and was just starting to get into fly fishing and we were fishing a lake in british columbia hanging stuff under an indicator and wanted to ask to change his fly and um i said we'll pick a coronamid because that's all we fished at the time under there and uh-huh. i don't want to fish that i want to fish this and he had this you know chenille crystal chenille body leech marabou tail with a gold bead on it and i said well we don't fish those under an indicator well that's uh-huh. what i want to fish so you know 10 minutes later i'm arguing with an eight-year-old and, and getting my butt kicked and I, I did what any good father would do i just collapsed and gave up and just <laughs> whatever you know right. put it on. so threw it out there for him and uh he settled down. I sat down. I look over. That indicator went under so hard it left bubbles, right? It's like, holy. Nah. And then your boy fishers, you know, trout are stupid. They'll do anything, right? And so you you bring it in. You let it go. And you fly. He, and, of course, now he wants to do that again. So we flop it out there. In the next hour, we must have caught and released six good fish, right? And then that somewhere along that journey, the little light switch in your head goes, hmm, maybe I should try hanging leeches more often under there. So that's what got me. Uh, into hanging leeches under and then once that started you know pandora's box was open we we now hang you know caddis pupas scuds bait fish patterns and attractors such as blobs under indicators now basically any fly you can fish you fish under an indicator and uh and can do very well again because it controls the depth of your presentation and your retrieve speed it controls the two things most people struggle with 
right? And you again, ball going underwater is exciting to watch. It it yeah. is. Now, yeah. Phil, kind of talking about depth and everything, you know, depth's one of definitely the most important factor in getting a fish or not. Um, a lot of guys fish shore, especially with how cold Pyramid is. Um, you know, a lot harder to drop our HEMA stats off right there. Yeah, it's do you, do you have a method from shore you've ever figured out? I mean, I've done it. Trust me. I've, yeah. you know, done well, there the is, whole, woo, you know, in England, <laughs> it out. with the carp fishing they do there, they have a thing called a plummet, literally meaning, you know, something plummets to the ground. And they attach this weight to their bait, their hook, and they, you know, they approximately set their depth. And then they toss this thing out and they're using long quill floats. And they read how that float sits in the water. Now, we don't have the same amount of weight on our line. Uh, and I know I've heard of some anglers doing something simpler, similar like that. Like, you can use hemostats, but we also use, because uh, where I am in Canada, we have this thing called winter. And a lot of people ice fish. <laughs> and it's here, by the way. And um, so it's basically a big lead teardrop with a pair of alligator clip, um, clips sort of fused to it. And that's mm -hmm. what we use as a weight. So you could sort of pull that down and toss it out. And, it, you know, I, and I know some people have figured it out. I, you know, usually I experiment, you know, I try to get a, a measure. I've been trying to work on something. I need, I needed somebody, you know, trigonometry just brings back a lot of bad memories for me. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you could gauge sort of the angle of the shoreline, mm -hmm. right, it's basically a right triangle, right? The surface assuming yep. to be flat, the vertical down is the whatever the side of the triangle <laughs> was and of course where you're standing you know and that's a 90 degree angle up there and then of course your angle is 10 degrees shore angle 20 30 you could probably put together a little table or something that would approximate you know 30 feet out at a 50 approximately looks like about a 20 degree angle you know 20 30 feet out is going to be this and then start experimenting from there right yeah uh, mm. yeah and i've i've actually uh <laughs> I know you, nobody can see this on, but I have been playing with it a little bit, you know, and I was my, again, Brandon, just coming out of college, I was like, oh, yeah, that's trig, that's sine, coast, whatever, and I just... A squared plus yeah, C, and B I, squared. I, and he C started squared. getting into, yeah, way too over and started bringing in, I said, I just, I don't need it to be to the millimeter or the, to the micro inch, I just need a rough guide that when I'm standing on a shore that slopes off gradually, you know, 20 feet out should be this. Right. And uh, therefore, you know, it put, put me in the park. Of course, you know, the reality is most times it goes nice and smooth. It goes up like pyramid. It goes out nice and smooth for 20 feet and it goes woof, off into the depths. Right. Yeah. 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 There's always a level of experimentation. Um, you know, it's definitely easier when you're in a boat or a watercraft. Um, that's, yeah, and that's totally. what, you know, the reality is I don't get the benefit of fishing a lot of lakes from shore, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. You know, really productive lakes, you take one foot off the shore, you're up to your neck in mud. There's yep. weeds all around the lake. Even if you could get a cast out and get, hook a fish, how are you going to drag it back? You've got land access issues or maybe a short right of way that allows people to launch boats, but you can't really wander the shore. You've got trees behind you. you got all kinds of these barriers. So you end up having to get out on the water. And it, it also gives you the mobility to, to move around, right? Yeah, no. So, no you know, you're, no. you're pretty fortunate on Pyramid that you've got a – you know, a substrate you can stand on, you can put ladders on, you can yeah. walk, you know, miles up and down the shoreline kind of thing to, to find fish. I, I kind of envy that. You know, anytime I get to fish from shore, it's kind of a special um, special thing. 
It is. And, and the ability to like getting comfortable with trying to read the water, you know, I mean, we had, <clears throat> uh, the week after our opening our opening stint out there, we were on, on flow craft so we can get out there and, and fish varying depths. The next week we had some weather, um, occurrences, which made watercraft, especially flow craft somewhat prohibitive, right? <laughs> Yeah, to put it nicely, right? So you're like, okay, well that's okay, you know. Like I'll, I'll work with the terrain in the water. I know where deep places are and stuff. And oh, uh, well, that didn't really turn out well. And it was myself and um, my buddy uh, Anthony, and we were fishing this flat. And he found uh, a pocket on one side. So if you could picture a point, so we had a point with a shoal, mm-hmm. right? And the shoal, the shoal is like a shallow extension that goes from, you know. Uh, you know, a couple inches deep to, you know, 40 feet out, it's still like five feet deep, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's really gradual. But on either side of that shoal, you got inside the bay off the point, you have a really deep drop. And mm-hmm. on the outside, you have a deep drop to the lake. Yep. And then you have this shoal, and, and he was fishing this pocket. They could visually see cutthroats chasing bait fish. So they're sitting there, him and his buddies were targeting fish. And I'm, I'm on the outskirts here going, I get seven feet of water to play with. When yeah. the fish are traditionally 25 feet plus, I'm like, I'm going to go bird fishing, right? You know, there's yeah. ducks. Maybe I'll catch a duck. And, yeah. I, and I did. And I did catch a duck, by the way. Right. It, it, it everything went fine. But, um, <laughs> but what, what, good? what, no, no, he was in there stinky. They smell bad. Um, um, but what I did learn, this is interesting was, uh, when I first started fishing it, I was just like, well, I'm going to fish it. Maybe there'll be a passer through. And then these guys keep seeing these big cutthroat charge, these bait balls in this deep hole. And I'm like, well, those fish just aren't hanging out there. They're coming in. They're doing like snatch and grabs. Yeah. They're, they're darting in and disappearing. And then a different group came in, like different sizes all the time. I'm like, oh, or are they crossing over? So I fished that, kept stripping streamers across that shallow section. And it was a slow day. I ended up with two fish that day. But they're healthy fish and really aggressive grabs. And then... As you're bringing that fish in, you could see the other cutthroats chasing them in, going, "Hey, I want what you got." Yep. And I'm like, "Oh, well, I learned something today." You know, so you know, varying those depths is important where you can fish those depths. But sometimes you might find that that little alley, like you said, those fish are constantly searching. So mm-hmm. sometimes those untraditional waters, where you're like, they're not hanging out here, but maybe they need to come through here to get where they need to go. Mm-hmm. You know, so that would probably have been a day where I could have had an indicator on Phil and fish like a five foot depth and yep. people have been like, you're nuts. And it probably would have whacked probably had better luck. Yeah. You, well, the other, the other good know. thing about those situations is when you, you know, we used to, you know, some of our lakes have a, you know, a good minnow population, um, you know, nothing big, you know, a fathead, a big fathead minnow in our lakes would be about maybe two, two and a quarter inches long. Most of them are small, but the, especially in the fall months, when there's a lot of the immature um, um, minnows around, you know, they're, you know, barely an inch long, but the trout will get in there and push them right up against the shoreline weeds and stuff. And they're in a foot of water chasing around, snapping like an angry dog. There's little minnows freaked out, jumping everywhere. You know, we're hanging sometimes a balanced minnow of some sort of foot underneath the indicator because there's only 18 inches of water to work in. Uh-huh. And the beauty of that presentation, if you were to cast and strip, and particularly with a brown trout that likes to cruise a beat, there's a chance you could line them and spook them right mm, gone right the beauty of an indicator in that situation is you can put it in there 
and just let it sit and you know simmer if you will and then uh-huh. if you need to get it out you can just slowly creep it back out right if you you know the cast doesn't go where you want it i always tell you know because you'd always have students that are you know put it in there it didn't go quite where they wanted so they want to rip it up like don't don't do that because then an indicator is going to rip off the surface and make one heck of a disturbance yes, right sir. And that can spook so just sort of retrieve it out it's like you know, any cast, you always fish the cast out regardless if it didn't go according to the the mental, you know, the plan you had in your head that it was going to hit the other side of the planet with your cast um, and with the tightest perfect loop, right? Um, <laughs> so just bring that back and then put it back in there again and let it sit. And a lot of times just that little animated wave action, down it would go and we'd get fish, right? Beautiful. So there are times that it's it's tactically, it's a, you know, it's a tactically wise to do it. Right? Nice. I guess the knock about indicator fishing, oh, it's boring, right? Because you're just staring at this indicator, and when nothing's happening, you get you do get mesmerized. And my cure for that is simple. Move the fly. Do something to keep yourself engaged. Because as we were talking before we started, sure as heck, the second you look away to see, you know, what so-and-so is doing or what's going on over there, you come back and it's your indicator is just gone, right? Gone. And we don't react we just lean in and stare a little harder and wonder what the hell's wrong with it, right? And then it pops back up and you missed it, right? So it's yep. the thing is to keep, anytime you're doing something like that, the cure for boredom is move the fly. Do something to stay engaged. Right, right. Yeah. right. And, and maybe, Phil, we can talk a little bit about the meat and potatoes of sure. your favorite type of <clears throat> indicator setup. Uh, and maybe we could <clears throat> verbally talk through it. And... Uh, Give a description to the listening audience on the Phil Rowley magic indicator setup. <laughs> I have it. I feel like I have it somewhat memorized in my head. I can, you know, yeah, do yeah. the blindfolding. I could do this blindfolded. And so well, we didn't oh. want to get in the weeds the last podcast. Yeah. Now we want, no. we want yeah, the this, weeds. And now. you know what? This leader setup is the most complex leader setup I use in still water fishing. Really? And everybody thinks that, like we oh. talked to you earlier, that. You know, you just slap on a nine or a twelve foot leader, add tip it, and you're you're off to the races. And and some days, sure, that'll work, mm-hmm. but most days it doesn't. And it's and this comes especially from fish and small bugs. You know, I think a fish, the bigger the the bug you're hanging under the water, the more the trout will move for it because it, you know, when it, exchanging calories in for calories expended for calories inv- ingested, it's a worthwhile investment to eat a three inch, you know, chase something three inches long three feet whereas something that's half an inch long nah Mm -hmm. i'm not doing it right um so the most critical part of any indicator leader setup is that the leader between your indicator and your fly is level same or very similar diameter so your fly hangs straight down um so the system i use um i start with a real indicator leader and it says tapered on there and i'm a and then People in the next breath will hear me say, don't use a tapered e- leader. Now, but my definition of a tapered leader is the sort of standard 9 or 12-foot trout leader um, that most people, you know, um, use. And in the trout range, the primary purpose of that leader is for fishing dries and emergers. 50% of that leader is butt section to give you that energy, the you know, the transfer of energy from casting, delicate turnover, doesn't spook a rising fish. Well, the drawback for indicators is because that leader from its butt to its tip is pretty well differing diameter, at least half of its length. And mm-hmm. the thicker leader material is, the slower it sinks, right? 
So this indicator leader I use as my foundation. They're all 10 feet long. I probably use 2X and 3X almost exclusively now. And the first, let's say, two and a half, maybe three feet is a stiffer butt section. So that's where right where that transitions to the level portion of the leader, which is about seven feet long, that's where I hang the indicator. I always like to keep my indicator about three feet from the end of my fly line because it's easy to cast. If you get your indicator way out on the leader, away from the fly line, the whole leader setup becomes unbalanced. It becomes hard to cast. You tend to overpower it. It causes tailing loops and lots and anger, and I get hate mail. Um, mm. So... <laughs> From yourself. <laughs> yeah, and I'm insensitive. I'll cry. And uh, um, so th the first three feet of butt section, um, I like it for, for uh, a few reasons. First of all, it's nylon. So, and I know lots of friends of mine use straight level fluorocarbon, 10 pound, 8 pound from fly from end of fly line to point fly or, or fly. And that certainly works great. People argue the economy of it all. Um, but the drawback, especially in sensitive situations I found from time to time, is fluorocarbon will sink. So between your fly line and your indicator, you've got this little sort of subtle little maybe half, a quarter, and one inch underneath the surface. So on a sensitive bite, when you go to set the hook, you got to tear that out of the water first. That could cause a little – can cause a little delay that causes you to miss a fish if they're taken really softly. Um, right. it, it also, um, it's a little bit of backbone to the leader because from the, from the indicator south down to the fly, it's a pretty level, flimsy, tangle prone setup. So a little bit of backbone mm. in it. So that, I was going to sneeze. Excuse me. <laughs> I get to Bless. sneeze on podcast. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> what a, what a very delicate sneeze. That was horrible. Anyway, <laughs> um, where was it? So that's got some backbone to it. Right, again, going to help turn it over. And the thicker diameter butt section, if you use a loop-to-loop -loop connection with your fly line, or some people cut that loop off and, and just clinch knot straight to or tie, you know, however you like to connect, that's a debate for a whole other show. Yes. Um, it, it's not going to cut into your fly line. So you're not going to have that 8 or 10-pound thin diameter tippet material you're going to use for the main leader that'll bite into an expensive fly line and you know you've got a cheap product screwing up a hundred dollar product right mm. well that's why i like to use that leader so that leader is like i said 10 feet long out of the package uh, let's say it's got seven feet of usable length meaning that seven feet is level thin will sink straight off the leader okay yeah so obviously not all fish feet at seven feet or less <laughs> be nice if they did but they don't yeah. So, um, if I want to fish, let, let's use, let's say I want to fish 15 feet down and you can just extrapolate, um, from their different lengths. So if I want to fish 15 feet down, I like my final tippet section mm -hmm. on my leader about two feet. And I typically use a small barrel swivel, uh, 12s, 14s, 16s, the barrel swivel adds weight. It spins and rotates, which helps, um, you know, can be a little bit of a, a tangle preventer yes. um it's got a little bit of flash and attraction so um you know in a strong chronomid hatch when you've got all those pupa or silvery and inflated and you've got a, a black nickel or a silver swivel it's going to grab light and maybe pull fish over because you're competing your flies are competing with maybe a hundred thousand natural chronomid pupa coming up through the water mm. um right. it also it also serves as an inline stopper so if you break a fish off you're typically going to do that 
at the fly end of the swivel, or you're going to break the point fly off, let's say. And, um, and of course, that's going to trip a quick-release indicator. And, of course, that little black peg slides down the leader, and if there's nothing there, it's going to slide right off the leader. Your indicator's going to come off and drift into the sunset. So that swivel will stop the black peg, which in turn stops the indicator. Now you're only faced with maybe a little bit of tippet to replace and a fly, as opposed to having to rebuild a maybe a whole leader or, and, of course, replace a, le a, a whole indicator um, as well. So And that um, there are times... That you will get a pull down on that uh, on your indicator and set the hook and miss it, or you accidentally foul hook a fish because the fish has come in and sampled that swivel, right? And as it pulled the fly down, you yanked up on it and drilled the fly up into its pe pectoral fin or it's under its chin, and you foul hooked it on the on the hook set. So that's why we like the the swivels in there. So I like to keep that section about two feet. Okay. Right. So I've got seven feet of usable leader. Mm-hmm. Two feet of final tip section. So two and seven is nine. And I need yes. to get to 15. I need to add six feet of similar or perhaps one size less tippet to the end of my indicator leader. So it goes indicator leader, tippet section, final two feet. And I call that section between the swivel and the indicator leader the adjustment zone. Because that's where I ebb and flow my leader length as I move around uh, to match the situation. Because you never want to fish a leader any longer than you have to. So, mm. if we're, you know, Nico, if we're, if we're out sure. fishing 15 feet down, get called in, they're all off this point. They're in your trough at five feet down. I'm not going to go in there and try and fish an indicator five feet down with, um, you know, a 10-foot leader plus five feet plus seven uh, with you know, 17 feet a liter into five feet and hang, it's just going to be a recipe for frustration and, you know, it's great for tippet sales and stuff like that, but sure. Uh, yeah. Pretty, frust pretty frustrating. <laughs> well, I, th I think I figured out why everyone's frustrated at pyramid now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't uh. fish any longer than you have to. That's where you adjust because it's the cheapest portion of the leader. Um, and easily, easiest to adjust. Right. So that's the, yeah. that's the basic setup. Now, if I go really deep water fishing, what you'll find with a primarily a nylon-based leader is there's a lot of stretch, elasticity in that yes. leader, especially if you're using a non-stretch line as well. So you'll get a take, you go to set the hook, your, your strike is absorbed by that elasticity in your system, and it won't pop, right? Or you got to really hit it hard to make that indicator pop, and of course, then you risk breaking the fish off. So sometimes my adjustment zone, and this comes from fishing on Crowley Lake, in California, uh, where they yeah. fish leaders almost primarily out of braid, mm -hmm. right? And braid is no stretch, right? right. So I, I tried that using a full uh, length of braid. We used to use like 30 pound, um, not because of the breaking strain, just because it's thicker, because one of the selling features of braid is, you know, four diameter, four pound diameter strength, 10 pound break, you know, you know four, four pound diameter, four pound diameter with 10 pound strength. There you go. Right, right. And, uh, you know, but the the trouble with braid is it's tangle prone. Holy smokes! You get a knot in that stuff, and just you just cut it out. So it's it's a bit of an ends justify the means system, and it's something you only use really deep water. Well, now what I do is I take that still use that ten foot indicator leader as a base, and my adjustment zone now is a section of braid that I'll use. You know, 
um, back-to-back um, uni knots, something like that. There's lots of braid connection. Lots of people can look up on YouTube. Sometimes I'll use a tippet ring um, to connect the two. The, the drawback with a tippet ring is now that's your stopper. And if mm-hmm. you're not careful, your indicator can't slide down the elite far enough in a deep water situation where you can land the fish because everything's jamming up at the tip. And again, right. sorry for all this sort of disappearing off into the dark side of leaders, um, but that's as complex as I get. You can't have an indicator without a leader, Phil, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes a huge difference. <clears throat> Where this got, it, it got drilled home to me a couple of times. Um, one I particularly remember is I had two people, it was in one of my Stillwater schools, and I had two people in my boat, so I'm sitting in the middle of them, as I joke at the time, kind of like a UN peacekeeper. I got two warring factions. One is catching a lot of fish because he's using a, a setup, my, my setup, and the other gentleman's not catching anything. And after about an hour, I can hear the huffing and the puffing and the frustration. And um, so I was like, well, I got to, obviously, it's my job as guide slash instructor to fix, figure this stuff out. So you go through all the normal progressions. What fly? What size? If there's color variations, right, in that fly, right? All that's the same. Uh, what's your depth, right? Set that. I think we were in 10 feet of water fishing, 9 feet down. So, okay, we're at 9 feet. Still nothing, right? And it just goes on and on and on for another 20 minutes or so. And finally, the gentleman who's not catching fish says, I still don't think I'm at the right depth. Let's put the two indicators together. And stroke the leader from indicators to flies. Like put them together and stroke them parallel to each other. And to the millimeter, they were the same length. However, I could feel when I did that, one leader from indicator to fly was level. The other one was thick, 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 and then went level. And I Mm. said, and of course, the gentleman's not catching. has got the sort of thicker leader. I said, well, what are you using for a leader? I just got a nine-footer on, and I added tippet. And I said, well, I th- I, you know what? I think it's your leader. And he's like, really? You think that's going to make a difference? Because as humans, we're bad at this stuff, right? We yeah. always go for the painfully obvious, right? And then we, 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 we don't give credibility to the subtle little things that, you know, either we don't pay attention to or somebody else does. So I says, I think it's your leader. I changed them up to the system I just described. First cast, bang. Second cast, bang. Third cast, bang. It made the difference, right? So, so it's happened on a couple of times like that where, you know, I th- think it's the leader. And I've had some people get a little, you know, friends of mine who, who fished a long time, didn't think about it much, you know, I think it's your leader. Oh, no way. You know, get a little argumentative. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Right, Just, and we had a, a good friend of ours, um, Blake, is going to hear this, and he's probably going to get all angry at me. I'm just kidding, Blake. You'll love that. Um, we love you, Blake. So, so he, so, yeah. Well, he's, 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 a, he's a longtime pyramid fisherman. I've learned a lot from him. Um, Crowley, he loves Crowley, and he listened to the last podcast. And he, he took um, some of your advice on your Stillwater leader setups, especially when it comes to doing the tag ends versus having an inline, an inline, you know, chronomid, you know, with, uh, you know, line tied off the bottom of the hook down, you know, to another chronomid, which a lot of people use and yep. you'll catch fish that way. Yeah, you will. A- absolutely. He, he changed it up a little bit. Crowley was a little difficult this season. It was, it was a testy lake and um, he's like, Hey, you know, I tried some of that stuff. I had a good day. Yep. You know, he's like, I liked it. I liked it. You yeah, know, well, I, had, it, it, I had a friend I was out with uh, in September uh-huh. and he was fishing three flies and that's how he had them. Eye to bend, eye to bend all the way down parallel in line. 
And he's getting pull downs and he cannot, he sets the hook, missed it, set the hook, missed it. And he's getting frustrated. And I looked at his leader. I says, I think it's your dropper setup. What do you mean? I says, well, you've got those flies tied in a, a line. And what I think the fish are doing is they're coming in and trying to take your bug and they're pushing it instead of, because as they come at it, their snouts, upper and lower jaws, or one or both, are hitting the leader either above the fly or below the fly and pushing it away, which, of course, registers, makes the indicator move. You yeah. set the hook, you don't get the hook up. Or you got him on for a second and it's gone because he didn't get a good, clean hook set on it, right? Right. Well, and the other, you know, the other problem, Phil, is and I learned this from your last podcast is you won't catch fish using a size 16 as well. That's yeah. part of the problem. Size yeah. 16, yeah, I remember. <laughs> you remember? I know you love using the big chronomids, and yeah. I've, I've used that as a joking point lately, just like, you know, size 16 is a no-go. And yeah. it's funny, but the same thing, you know, with, with even with that smaller size chronomid, not saying you can't catch fish on it, but some well, of these fish, yeah. you, you can, but some of these fish, especially when you get into the bigger species, the bigger fish, um, they may go for that. But I've, I've seen anglers um, going for big fish with the smaller chronomids and having that issue on takedowns where they may have had a tagged end on it, you know, but they're yeah. like, Oh man, I keep missing it. And it's like, well, you're missing it. The fish is going for it. The fish is putting it in its mouth. You just don't have that. You don't have that power. You don't have that power to get and get into that bone, get into that jaw. It's just, it's just coming right out, you know, where the fish is just spitting it out, never has a place to latch onto, you know? So I kind of changed directions there, but I just kind of tied That's it. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the fixes for that <laughs> while we're uh -huh. down Bible down this rabbit hole yeah. is 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 the you know if they're eating sixteens there are times you can hook them and, and hold them you know um, especially on clear lakes I do find fish like there tends to be generally smaller size species of chronomids in those lakes generally right. don't hold me to it but you know generally twelves fourteens sixteens and then in our muddier productive lakes we tend to be twelves fourteens tens. Eights. Sometimes we've got some big chronomids coming off, yeah, uh, and those are fun. Um, but what we do is a way to get around that because the drawback sometimes to a sixteen or an eighteen hook is they're just not as stout as a twelve or a ten. So borrowing from Atlantic salmon and steelhead tires, tie a low water style chronomid. So still use your size twelve hook with a heavy wire, but only tie halfway down the shank. Right? Because, yes. <laughs> and if he goes, well, the fish will see the hook. Well, and this is where you get into arguments with guys. Your fly's got to have, you know, Cronman's got to have seven ribs because, you know, fish know the difference. And I'm like, well, maybe. But if, if they can see that kind of detail, please explain the whole concept that they miss the hook every time. Right? They seem to just don't see that at all. Right? So, um, you know, that's one that's one way of doing it is just tying, you know, a size 16 chronomid on a size 12 hook. Right. Don't go down into the bin. I love where we just went with this because I was just about to say, if someone encourages you to fish a smaller midge than you're comfortable with or chronomid than you're comfortable sure. with, I've always gone and Taylor's seen this where we'll get reports like off of our river, you know, I don't know, size 16, 18, 20. And I'm like, all I got is size 14s and 12s. I'll make it that yeah. smallest size by just tying on half the shank. You know, it's, it's what you tie on because it's it's you could debate all day long if they could see the hook or not, but it really, you know, and, and then that that moment's glimpse, you know, the, all they're seeing is, you know, you know as, as you on. mentioned with those cuts and pyramid, they're big greedy critters. They got to eat. They, they're not, you know, they don't wake up one morning and look in the mirror and go, ooh, I got to lose some weight here. I'm starting. I'm not liking what I'm saying. No. I can't see my fins, right? So, um, 
they need to eat. And uh, <laughs> took a while for that one to sink in. No, um, it's just a true story. It's <laughs> like, yes. Where'd my teeth go? Um, and uh, um, so, you know, when they're all eating, if there's a hatch of 16s going on, I always joke, the goal is not to play hide-and-seek here with your flies. It's to stick out in the crowd, right? To be that big, dumb bug. So right. if they're eating 16s, if I can cook, my first reaction, if they're eating 14s, I'll try and feed them a 12, right? I'm the bit, You know, I had a friend of mine, a good friend of mine who was a guide uh, before he sadly passed away a number of years ago. But he said, you know, go for the biggest apple in the bowl. Right, you're hungry. You see a bowl of apples. You're not going to grab the little tiny one. You're going to go for that big one, right, and take that first. So it's the same same kind of logic. Well, we're like we're in Nevada here, so it's like we use the buffet terminology. Yeah, you're going through the buffet line. Yeah, and you, you get to the ribs. Which one are you going for? You're going for the biggest rib. Yeah. you're going for the biggest anything. Like, oh, I'm going to the fried chicken pile. Yeah, look at that leg. That's yeah. what I'm getting. You know, you know? I'm, I'm so, going to take the little tiny one, right? Right. Yeah. Right, right. So, you're, 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 <laughs> yeah. but so as humans, it's funny. As as humans, you 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 can experience the selective process that a trout may go through. Yeah. You know, so and the buffet line's perfect because you have a bunch of different things that are all the same size, except one of those or two of those is always different. You know, it's either smaller or bigger. And as humans, you're like you want bigger or more. You know, more for your money or whatever, and you reach for that. And I think the trout would do the same thing. And I agree that you want to make it stand out where you have a hatch of size 16s or 18s or Heck, they're size twelves. You want to go size ten or eight. You know, you just want to make it different. You just don't want to. You don't want it to look so much the same. It's just like, oh, yeah. You know, nothing. No, there are times. You know, I'm, oh, you go yeah. ahead, Phil. No, I was just going to say there are times where you do have to feed them that, right? You know, but yeah. it's sort of a, you know, you work your way to it, right? It's not a go right away, um, you know. But this year, um, I was fishing with my son, and chronomas were hatching, and we were sitting in. 10 to 12 feet of water and nothing. I slid out an anchor. Just It was just a gentle slope. We slid out into about 14 feet and uh, still fished, you know, that 10, 12 feet down. And then I said, well, it's, I knew it kept sloping off deeper. So I said, well, I'm going to slide up from 12. I'm going to go to 14. And I flopped it out towards the deep side, kind of quartered it out almost like a wet fly swing, a little bit of an aerial mend to reach cast and then a couple of little mends and just started to let that drift down when boom first cast it went under it was the depth right instantly just instantly the right thing right and then all of a sudden it was like game on right we we figured because then when we throat pumped them they had 16s in them chronomids right but i had a 14 on they ate them all day long right i wasn't you know one of my favorite lines is from bull durham kevin costner never mess with a streak Right. So, <laughs> yeah. right. so it's working. I'm not t- just like when, you know, we fish a lot of other things under indicators. We talked about leeches and blobs in the fall is one of my favorite combinations because trout are coming out of the deep water where they've spent most of the summer where the oxygen is. They've been targeting zooplankton because it's just drifting around down there with them. They basically breathe it in. Uh, they're going to start, you know, they're looking for bigger food items in the fall to stock up. So, you put a leech and a blob on typically the leech on the bottom and the blob on the top because zooplankton suspends and um you know you're consistently getting action on the leech i won't shake the blob off because a it could be the weight of those two patterns is just making everything get down and hang better it could be the the blob the, the trout are seeing that from a distance and then coming in and then oh there's a leech um you know i'm not playing with that i'm not gonna cut the blob off because 
it might tangle or they're not eating it. That could be the whole reason, you know, it's all, you know, it's kind of like uh, use a football analogy. Your star running back all of a sudden can't run for two straight weeks because the fullback that blasts the holes is on IR, right? And all of a sudden he can't get through the line anymore because, uh, you know, in that case, that fullback's the blob doing the heavy slug and that doesn't get any recognition. I'm just full of these great metaphors. I like it. I like it. I was, it I was, makes sense. Yeah, we, we could fold that into another one that's kind of like that old neon food sign along the highway. You know, like, oh, look at that. You know, eat. Eat what? Then you go in the diner. You know, kind of leech. Kind of going back a little bit. When okay. I saw Nico's eyes when you said, uh, you know, tie your 16 on a fill in the blank. Yeah. I already saw that Nico's very excited to go out to Pyramid and have somebody ask him for a 16, and he'll hand them a size 16 on an 8 hook. I will. I'll have a bunch of size 8 hooks with just a little on the top quarter, you know, a little a little bead and a little color. Three wraps of yeah. red. It'll be, a, it'll be like a black nickel hook, so you're fine. Or yeah. silver. Yeah. Or yeah. silver. I mean, whatever. Whatever. Do whatever. If it works. Yeah. And, then, and then two days later, it won't work. For it whatever. won't work. And, and it won't work. It won't work ever again. It no. just that, that time no, frame. But you rem- you hold on to that day for the rest of your life. But that's you that's the fun of this sport. That's that's the fun of it. Yeah. Now, um, you know, talking indicators and everything around them. Now mm. we're really in the weeds now. Yeah. Um, rod, right? Yeah. Mm. So, do you prefer more of a glass in your rod with an indicator setup? depending on depth, or do you prefer more, you know, like a fiberglass or, or more graphite? Type? I use graphite, oh. um, but I like what I would call a moderate fast action. So I don't like something that's super fast, um, huh. stiff. I like a long rod. I fish I fish a, a company out of Denver uh, called Mystic. They make an M-series rod, a 10-foot, 3-inch. Mm-hmm. And I love long rods for still waters, but particularly indicator fishing because – from the simplest, you get a greater distance between indicator and fly before the indicator jams up at the tip. Um, you you can steer and control fish around an anchored boat. You can reach out and extend because fish love anchors and motors and transoms, you know, a transom mount, uh, motor, electric, you name it, they, they'll find it to wrap around. Um, um, the, the tip, you know, the softer forgiving tip um, is going to cushion a hook set, so you're not going to break fish off when you you know you set on an indicator, um, and and for me as well it's the roll cast because that's my primary presentation cast when I indicator fish because you don't want to be making long distance casts even though one could argue you know a ten foot rod or a nine and a half foot rod is longer than eight foot longer lever cast better it also the you know over the same casting stroke you know a casting stroke of a nine footer even if you did the ha- same movement of you know your same hand motions for a casting stroke i drew this out once to sort of prove to myself but that tip on the 10 foot is going to travel a longer casting stroke which is going to open the loop a little bit more Uh yeah you may rob yourself a distance a little bit but i'm trying not to get tangled up here right because you've got that skinny leader system two fly swivel indicator a lot of things that are different contact points so that's why i like the roll cast because you know, with that indicator system, the more times it's in the air, the more times things can go south in a hurry. So with a roll cast, you just roll it up, flop it back out there, and you don't want to be making long casts. Like, if I was fishing, you know, small flies, calm water, I would probably, you know, calm water, you probably, and shallow depth, you're going to have to get it out a little further. But 
my general rule is the deeper I fish below the indicator, the closer I fish it. And Crowley's a perfect example where you'll be anchored in 18, 19, 20, 22 feet fishing 18, 19, 20 feet down below your indicator. You barely got a rod length of line out. Because on when a fish, particularly with a small bug, when it I think when it takes that fly, as soon as it puts it in its mouth, it realizes not what I thought it was, right? And it's starting to expel the fly. And of course, at that moment, that's when that take registers on the indicator, and you set the hook. I think that's why most indicator fish are caught right in the tip of their snout mm. on the upper lip because you pulled the fly in there, as opposed to a streamer eat where it comes up, grabs the fly, and turns, and then you get it right in the scissors, right in the junction of the upper and lower of the back of the jaw, because it turned right, like. Yep. You know, wherever the hook is in the fish's mouth gives you a clue as to, you know, how it took the fly and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when you're fishing those deeper depths, because of the distance between the indicator and the fly, subtle takes um, are, are hard to pick up. But you can't, even if you saw them 20 feet away, you're not going to be able to react fast enough, I don't think, to consistently hook fish. So, you know, as long as you're not having a party on the boat jumping up and down the fish 18 feet down he doesn't he's not looking up he's just cruising around doing his thing or her thing and uh, you know takes your bug and you got to be on them so um you don't need to make long cast indicator fishing it's usually the biggest criticism i have with you know people have it's not criticism observation is probably a better point why are you bombing it out there 70 feet right just flop it out 30 feet like you know with the real lines i use they have their the, the uh, hang marker on the Stillwater floater line i helped develop with them um, and we wanted the, 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 uh, hang marker on there because, you know, for non-indicator presentations, we still do that rod raise to induce a take, but it's also a really good measuring stick. How far is my cast? Well, the hang markers at the tip top, I'm 20 feet of line. I got three feet of, uh, you know, that, uh, leader system of mine out in front of the indic in between it and the indicator. I know, you know, I'm 23 feet out, right. Which is probably an ample cast. Right. right. So it was, it was your subtle way of saying stop casting. So yeah, stop. Yeah, far. a I'm tired. A I'm tired of untangling your leaders, <clears throat> and B you're missing fish, right? Oh, it's under. And even if you can, you just there's such a you know because you got to remember that indicator it, the line goes out, the leader to your indicator, and then that indicator goes 90 degrees straight down. You've got to set that hook. You've got to make that 90 degrees go 180 in the blink of an eye to set the hook, because you don't have you know yes there's always those takes where you're not looking and the fish takes it on a run. Those are always fun, but that that's not a con that that is not the common uh, way an indicator take goes. You know, it's all visual until you set the hook, and then all the fun stuff starts. That that's why I use the terminology "rip it like Orlando." <laughs> Orlando, <laughs> the old bass fisherman. Yeah, so yeah, basically, because I'm I'm a big uh, and Taylor is too. Uh, switch rod guys. I'm I'm yeah. a loop a loop guy. Taylor has his own handmade, and he's he's used some of yeah. my rods as well. But yeah, it's just that it's that leverage. Yeah, and it's like when that and, and getting to that 180, straighten out that line, yep. you know, and you still have that sensitivity in the tip, and like you said, you still have that extension, you have that control to, you know, either get it around if you're in a boat or if you're on the shoreline. Like with, with yep. us, we tend to, I tend to, not every, but I tend to, when I get in a fish, I'm off the ladder, I'm yep. off the ladder, so I, I get it, boom, I'm set, and then I walk off, I walk off backwards, and then I get control of that fish, you know, get my hand on a net, or I'm I'm working with the, the um whoever's going to net the fish yep. um but same terminology where i don't have a boat but i have a ladder yep. right so oh and guess what he does the first thing he goes for always a ladder you know he's going to go you know left right in front of it or come through it you know um so yeah same same principle um 
and I agree, you know, not having to cast out a mile. Um, the only time that I personally do that is if I'm working a left or right or right or left current on the lake yep. and I'm trying to keep other people away from me and I'll just <laughs> cast way out this way or this way. And then I'll make the excuse to cast really far, but I keep that close. I keep that proximity range, but I just put it further out left or right. You know? Yeah. For me, I yeah. check it, I check it out far the first couple casts, you especially do. if there's wind just so I can, you know, I set it as deep as possible. It's in the pyramid. so weird. Yeah. No, no, no. I swear to God, it's not. <laughs> So hear me out. I know, Phil, you're going to hate me. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. No, but I, I cast it way far out on those first couple of casts, and I set it, you know, probably anywhere from 15 to 20 feet because of just how pyramid is, especially if it's a beach I'm kind of unfamiliar with. And then I actually watch that indicator, and when I start seeing it get snagged on the bottom, then I'm like, yeah. okay, now I'm starting to feel where I'm, I want to be, you know, and then I yep. shorten it up and I'm like, okay, now where am I going to start getting the bites, you know? And yep. and that's just how I kind of feel it out from shore. No, that's not, I that's guess, not. I guess. and especially if you, you know, you're fishing a bigger bug, <laughs> you know, a leech or a minnow, that's usually a bigger pull down than a mayfly nymph for a coronamid larva or pupa or something. Mm, it's yeah. just, they're going to take that with a little, little more gusto. Your yeah, analogy of stepping off ladders at Pyramid brought back my flashback of the first fish <laughs> ever hooked on Pyramid was I sort of forgot I was on the ladder and just stepped off. And, of course, I was three feet deep, and it's a little unnerving <laughs> to think as you're going down and you're not hitting bottom, like how far down are you going to go before you take on water? But uh, yeah, What's right. happening here? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've been on the ladder for – you know, 20 minutes, half an hour. No, it was kind of, not, it was a good day, but not a, you know, fantastic day. And, and uh, yeah, I kind of forgot I was on a ladder and just sort of stepped off like I was stepping off a rock onto the, you know, in a river or something, a small rock. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a elevator ride for a yeah, second. Baptism. <laughs> yeah, baptism. baptism right? That's what I always tell my <laughs> buddies in the truck, you guys say. Yep, that's that's when you know you start catching fish. Now you're blessed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now you're blessed. So let's let's talk about one more thing real quick. Phil is is basically like, and I brought one here. Uh, if you can see this, but I tied this little balance leech in uh, in Phil style, where I have a nice. Well, this one I have a marabou tail on. I don't have a rabbit tail on it. Okay. Um, but then here, there you go, and. Um, is that clear so you can see Ooh, the, I like that. The so it's got, um, yeah, so it's got a 15 mil. What did I do? Oh, yeah. So I tied, for the body, I put a 15 millimeter, just all white, like UV chenille. Yeah. About about uh, a third of the way up the from the bottom of the shank. And then a long 40 millimeter, just silver tinsel uh, palmer. Yeah. Um, and then in front of that, I have the um, regular olive uh, semi, the Arizona. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of went for like this this Tui Chub, you know, green bait fish. Where I was, you know, on the opener, I was looking at these fish and I was watching them dance around yeah. in their bait balls. And I'm like looking for these colors. And I saw all kinds of colors. I saw I saw the green, and I saw the dark on the back, and then I see you know, this gold and silver. And that's what really stood out the most was like yeah. this gold and silver with that olive head, you know? Yeah. And, you know, this is, this is the leech pattern. Um, and, and on the streamer pattern, which is similar, it's just, just on a jig hook. That's the yeah. only difference. I just put it on a jig hook. Um, phenomenal results, you know? Oh yeah, I bet. That's a sweet, uh, that would work in art because our fathead minnows are basically 
you know, most of our shallow water minnows are olive and, you know, I think a lot of times when fish take an olive or a brown leech, mm. they're eating it as a minnow sometimes. Yeah. Um, because it's, you know, when you're living amongst the weeds and in the shallows, being, you know, chrome bumper is probably not a healthy color. <laughs> you're in the shallow end of the gene pool. You're not going to last long. So Mother right. Nature will weed you out. Um, sure, that's a that's a sweet-looking color combination. It's got my head going. You'll have to send me a picture of that. Yeah, I will. I yeah. will. Um, yeah. And then uh, I was going to say maybe you can talk a little bit about your retrieve technique on these guys because I know – like you're mentioning, you just don't let it sit out there. You know, um, what, 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 how you kind of just give it a little bit of, you I'm know. Both. I've got four main retrieves I use with an indicator. Um, mm -hmm. So there's the, you know, chuck it out, heave, as Gary Borger said years ago, heave it and leave it. Um, so just drop it out there and, and let it sit. And that's usually really cool water temperatures or you've got a mm -hmm. weather change, something they're not terribly active. So they're just, it just sort of sits and you just let the surface ripple because um, I'm using majority of the times on balance fly you know on a balance fly with a pin and a bead extension i'm using a non-slip loop knot just to help animate that. Uh -huh. so i'll yes. cast that out there um you know and again you get bored nothing's happening so the cure for boredom is move the fly so then i might try you know a four or five turn hand twist retrieve and then i'll let it sit again and then i'll get bored again and then i'll move it again right or the next time I move it, I might do a one-foot strip, a strip long enough to make the indicator make a wake, and then uh -huh. I'll stop. So that's going to rise the fly up, and then as you stop, it's going to settle back down, and quite often you'll get a grab right after the fly settles because it's that rise-fall motion of the fly that um, you know draws the fish over. They see the movement, and they come over. Oh, that looks good, yeah. and they eat it. And then the fourth way would be in a light wind situation, so your average pyramid day, right? Um, yeah. Is to <laughs> and uh, is to cast upwind and basically upstream nymph it. So cast it up and let it just because fish and lakes tend to feed into the wind. So mm -hmm. you're casting upwind and letting this fly drift back down towards them in the direction they're traveling towards them in the opposite direction they're traveling, and you just gather line and wait for that to go down. But you can only really do that in a light wind because you do not want to be punching that indicator rig I talked about into anything anything of any strength because it's just going to be a disaster um so those are the Sorry. sort of the basic um you know the retrieves i use and quite often it's not one or, you know i might do a cast where i let it sit for a while the next cast i might pick it up i'll hand twist and retrieve. the beauty of the hand twist retrieve is is you're covering water you're you know the fish could be you know as you said you know you're casting out that 15 foot water to come back and finally hit that drop off the shelf um fish could be tracking anywhere in that zone so you're just if you let it sit straight out um the fish has to come within you know range of that fly to see it whereas if you move the fly um then you can get see it so another thing i like to do is use the wind and again that's another benefit of the long rod is because you can mend right so i will cast i'm a right-handed caster so if i'm fishing with the wind at my back anchored or standing on shore um, I'm going to cast to the left side. I'm going to quarter a cast. The stronger the wind, the more acute the angle downwind I'm going to do. If it's a really light wind, I can almost go straight across and mend it around. If it's, you know, the wind is blowing that water a little more, I've got it. It's like it's like wet fly swinging or swinging flies on a river, right? Same right. logic. Um, so you're going to cast. I'm going to do a reach cast, and then I'm going to use little mends. Like a, a not a, a mend to me is not a wrist flick. It's a raise of the rod tip 
move the rod over horizontally, and then reposition the line on the surface. So, Because, you, you, again, you don't want to move that indicator like you wouldn't want to move a dry fly on a river. And what you're doing then, if I cast that out and let that swing 30 feet downwind and then retrieve it back 30 feet, if there's 10 feet of visibility around that fly, by doing that, moving down 30 and back 30, that's 600 circular feet, if that's the right unit of measure, that I've exposed the fly. So the fish, you should catch more fish, right? So yes, (laughs) more math. We had trigonometry. Now we're into yeah. Mind blowing. Yeah, all the stuff in school that I'm never going to use that. (laughs) As as I joke, people say to me, "Where do you come up with that?" I said, "That's just stuff I." The other S word, stuff I think about while staring at an indicator, right? When your brain's just processing and evaluating, and why you know why does this do this? Why is that like that? Right. Um, these are the times to, to think that stuff out. The only thing with that uh, wind drifting technique, and you can use it with and without indicators, with slow sinking lines, is to try, especially with floating lines, you never want a, a big C to form. I call it the dreaded C. Um, that's why you mend in your reach cast, because what if you let a C start to form in your line, the and that's you know just like when you mend on a river and the current grabs you know that surface area of the fly line. Um, that tip section is trying to catch up to that belly section. It's being pulled downstream or downwind. Mm-hmm. Um, it speeds up. So it accelerates your presentation. And just like on a river and stream situation, it can raise your fly up because all of a sudden the fly is not hanging under the indicator anymore. It's kind of being pulled along and starting to, to trail up. And all of a sudden you're not catching fish, right? So you want to always, so I, I'm a big believer in mend a little, mend often. As soon as you see that thing starting to get slightly out of position, reposition it, reposition it, reposition it constantly. Don't wait till it's like, now I got to make a, you know, I got to move 15 feet of line upwind because it's going to, it's going to move the indicator. It's going to jerk things around. Interesting. Do we have time for one more? What do you got? Fly line. Ah, So there's, there's a big, you know, the, the, the switch chucker is like. That's what everyone uses out there. Yep. Mm. Um, but me personally, I've kind of found, you know, just using like one of those classic, you know, heavy tapered indicator yep. lines yep. Um, with my switch. I, I tend to go a size or two up from a, you know, six weight rod. So I'm usually like a seven to eight weight indicator split, you know, regular fly indicator line i guess yeah. so let's talk about line a little yeah, bit yeah it's you know? to me it's a huge difference you know <laughs> any floating line will work right but when you think about it most floating lines are designed for fishing dries on rivers you know long front taper um you know your let's say your average dry line for presentation's got a seven foot front taper again disposition dissipation of casting energy gentle turnover but you put a big indicator on there, that's not what that line was designed to do, and it struggles. And, of course, then you start to overwork it, which creates a whole bunch of other problems, um, tangles, things like that. So I like a line, again, just referring to that Stillwater floater. When I talked to the, the engineers at Rio, I said, we need a line. When we fish floating lines on lakes, it's not typically in a dry fly scenario, right? That's a special day on a lake when they'll come up and eat on the surface. It doesn't happen very often, at least not in, not in my experience across North America and down in South America. But we fish subsurface. So we're fishing long leaders or we're fishing indicator systems. And both of those systems need weight, mass, to get them to go where you want them to go. 
So that's where, like you say, those indicator style lines, um, lines for casting in windy conditions, um, like the outbound short lines for casting big articulated streamers. Um, they are already that still water floater. The head section has about a, I think a three foot front taper. So it's abrupt. It's not going to lay over a dry fly nicely most times. Um, but it's going to, you know, it's all that energy you put into your cast is now going to transfer over that leader quickly and turn all that over. Um, and it's two line weights heavier already out of the box for that reason, the mass mm -hmm. um, to do that. Right. And uh, yeah. so it's it's um, it's it's a really critical part. Um, and also, I wanted a line that roll cast as well. So when I go down to Argentina, I use the outbound short. That's a line for whacking around in the wind and, and all that stuff. Um, you know, very similar to Pyramid, um, you know, that switch chucker, those kind of lines because, um, you know, you're not having to make a delicate presentation. You need to get that stuff out there and turned over and, and not be frustrated all day long because you you haven't really, you know, you I guess you know, more crazy analogies. It's like you can pound a nail in with a screwdriver, but a hammer is a better tool for it, right? <laughs> you right, can yeah. It, but, um, you know, if you're, and if you're going to get into this, you know, still water fishing, um, you know, the long leader stuff and the indicator stuff, which is particularly indicators, which is so dominant nowadays, it sure makes life easier to have a line designed for the job. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I got to switch gears on us real quick. Okay. Um, as we tail the podcast out, I got two food questions. And I'm not going to ask the burrito question. I know. Already, I still haven't found. Are, a, I haven't found a burrito restaurant up here in Canada that matches your criteria yet. <laughs> I know. I, I knew you're going to be hard pressed, but so we'll give you some more search time. Okay. But um, <laughs> I would say so. What I had, uh, what I didn't ask you last time, is number one, what is Phil's favorite fly fishing snack, and then two, while you're thinking on that. Maybe like the best <clears throat> um, lodge meal. Like I know you've you frequented quite a number of lodges in, yeah. in North America, and there has to be one that maybe stood out where you're like, you know, I don't care how great or bad the fishing was. I think I'd go back for the food. So anyway, let's start with number one. How about number what's, one? Would yeah, be what, what's, and that comes from my good buddy Brian Chan. It's, it's a, a type of cheesy you get here in Canada called a Hawkins cheesy. It's not Hawkins like a cheesy? Cheeto. It's um, – not as puffy and full of air. Uh -huh. You know, you can still start fires with it, but uh, um, <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah. We don't Cheetos need any more of those. Cheetos are a good fire starter. Yes, they um, are. And it's and it's funny. I have you know I've had American you know now our borders are opening and travel back and forth and and um, they all see these Hawkins and then within two days they're addicted. They're buying huge bags of them. So it's good indicator food because you can hold a rod in one hand. And you can munch away with the other, right? You can still fish and eat. So Hawkins cheesies. And as for meals, you know the one thing, it was more a type of meal that stood out. And as a fly uh -huh. fisher, probably most people be mortified is a shore lunch. A, you know, with a pike or a walleye uh -huh. uh, that's freshly caught, okay. and prepared, and it's probably the whole, um, you know, it's you're eating beans, batter fried fish, you know, all no bones. Uh, potatoes and onions over a fire on the shore. You're the only person for a zillion miles, square miles around you and nature. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, and then you can't generally, you just curl up in a ball and sleep for the rest of the afternoon. Cause you're so exhausted, you know, so busy, so tired from trying to digest all that food, but huh. those shore lunches, if you've never had one, they're a, 
you know, I'm a catch and release fisherman 98% of the time, but, you know, uh, in those circumstances where shore lunch is on the agenda for that day, I am, I am all about returning to our natural roots as hunters and predators. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and a pike or a walleye. Walleye is quite, Mix quite them awesome. together. Really? Um, one of the lodges I was at uh, yeah. last mm. year, Scott Lake Lodge in northern Alberta, right, northern Saskatchewan, rather, right on the Northwest Territories border, way up there. Um, they had their um, shore lunch day. Every guide um, went out and they got two two pike and brought them back in and they each prepared their speciality. Well, okay. you know, talk about your banquet. Um, and one of the best ones was one they call slabster, which is this guy took the pike cleans it and it's cut into little chunks and boils it in water. So it's all the rest are all this battered stuff. So this doesn't have the eye appeal. No. And look at it. And what they do is they you swap the water out and then made a garlic butter mix and then let that simmer with it. It's oh. tastes like lobster and it was unbelievable. It just melted in your mouth. You know, it was the, the consistency of the meat was unbelievable. Yeah, it was a uh, roll me into the boat and drive me back to the lodge because if I fell in the lake, I just would have sunk to the bottom in record time. <laughs> I, I see what he's doing there. He's doing like a, he's doing like a poach, right? Yeah. And, and then, then, yeah, then he's getting that uh, majority of that water off and then doing the butter and, and oh. whatnot. And basically kind of like almost making like a cream sauce. Oh. I could see the lobster effect. That's, yeah, that's, it's, it was, wow. you know. Eye wise, it was like, try it, and then as soon as you put a piece in your mouth, I'm taking all of it. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, he definitely brought his A game. So, yeah, I've heard yeah. of that. And then if 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 I and if I was to pick a meal, it would be a good old breakfast. Okay. Egg, eggs, bacon, hash browns, you know, cholesterol because, because surprise. You're in Canada, so. Yeah. You got to define it. Are we talking back bacon or belly no, bacon? No, we're talking – this is just like that dubbing Canadian black. Our black is the same. Black <laughs> dubbing is the same as everybody else's. Um, right. We don't eat Canadian bacon. We eat the same strips as everybody else. We I jokingly say we call that back bacon ham. Um, so we're eating regular strips of bacon, maybe some sausages, hash browns, two eggs over easy. Mm-hmm. That'll keep me going all day long. I'll nibble on my Hawkins cheesies, and then we'll have a good steak dinner after the day is done. Nice. Hungry. Yeah. I don't know. Some slaps there now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, and Phil, if, uh, before we leave here, I want, if you could give out your website address, I love your, I love your fly store. And I love the fact that you have the single best. I'm trying to put the right words to it. Like the epitome, the overlord, the profit of balanced leeches, the bruise leech on there. Yes. Like you can search high and wide for it across, you know, do yep. the internet search and be like, oh, I'm looking for a balanced leech. And you find all kinds of stuff, but you don't find the one. Yeah. He has the one. I have it's the one. sweet. The he, one. Ha- he has the one and it's special. Yeah. So, and it's, and it's especially worth it. Even if you're in the U.S., pay that couple extra bucks to get it down here. Because the one, one thing I'll add this really quick is like when pyramid season gets going or any fly season gets going, when that's on, you yep. can't find what you need. It's gone. Well, it's gone. Funny, I, I just <laughs> sent an order out today and you get to no orders and it's full of coronamids and balance leeches and balance minnows going down to an address in California. I know that person's going to pyramid. Yeah, they but, are. Yeah. You know, yeah, they, are. they bought you know the what? indicators and they yep. bought the depth locators. Yeah. You know why? 
Because they, they listened to our last podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, you're welcome. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, well, I, just one more thing before. Um, yes, I've also started tying smaller, using a lot of jig leeches, like tied on jig hooks using slotted beads. And now um, yeah. a Canadian company, uh, Canadian Llama, has got these tungsten head turner beads. They're like a teardrop bead. And they have a concave um, face on one side. And you push that over the the hook eye. Um, if you go on my YouTube channel, I just did a uh, a live event with a friend of mine where I did some head turner beads, and I've got a new a fly um, a baby a baby vampire or mini leech up on my YouTube channel um, that a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, uh, Todd Oshi, who invented the fly, is just a simple but deadly little fly, all, basically all black with a chartreuse bead. I tied it, and what these beads do is you can fish them, cash and retrieve. But with, with particularly with these head turner beads, you can balance a scud hook, right? By using a clinch knot instead of a non-slip loop knot. And these beads push the mass of that tungsten bead out in front just enough with a clinch knot that that fly will hang horizontally. So now you've got a bead that you can fish, cast and strip and fish balanced and not change the fly in any other way. Right, what? just by the knot you tie on. So I saw you. I saw that on Instagram. Yeah. Wait a second. I that pattern. It was this for real. Yeah. Yeah. What? That means that means a lot of things. That means wow. I can go into it. That's a whole. That's amazing. I'm just picturing, like I, I tie I tie the yak. It's my world famous yak. It's very world famous to me. Yeah. And it's <laughs> I have good success, you know, and a few people I handed out to have good success. But that's one of the things that's one of the little pivots. I'm looking for that pivot to where you don't you can use both. You can tie a streamer. I mean, because you can use a balance leech as a streamer all yeah. day. But yeah. you only have that heavy that heavier, deeper profile. That'd be kind of cool to see the evolution. Like I'm gonna check that out, Phil. That sounds because yeah. we use in the fall, cool. we use a lot of mini leeches, like small uh -huh. number twelves. Um, you know, I've got, you know, this is, I don't know if you guys, <laughs> listeners can't see this, but this is tied on a, uh, uh, on a, just a number 12, um, it's almost uh, there, a little closer. There it is. Little well, that's real close, but we get it. It's yeah. like looking at a page that's out of the Bible. If you can't bead. see this, I don't know if you can notice, <laughs> see how that beads pointing almost horizontal the way the teardrop works. Yeah. So when I hang that with a clinch knot and snug it, so when I snug the knot tight to the hook eye, yeah. instead of it being, if straight up is noon, I'm going to actually snug it back to about 11 towards the hook bend, yeah. and that fly will hang horizontally. And here's a, another fly of mine, the pitching leech with the same um, bead on it. Oh, look at that. Right? Yeah. And that is on a scud hook, and it'll balance. Right? So oh. now I've got, I can cast and strip this thing with a intermediate, a tight three line, and I can also hang it under an indicator and it's going to hang horizontally too. So if you look at that um, vampire leech on my YouTube channel, okay. it's, I actually show ha hanging it and tying it on um, how to do that. So we should have a vampire versus yak throwdown. Yeah. Yak sounds like something my dog does after he <laughs> doesn't want. Is that where it my, comes from? Uh -oh. It's like a cat puke fly. That <laughs> uh oh, oh my gosh, gosh no. my feelings just got hurt. I no, because it's tied out of because tied out of yak, like a li yak. literal yak. You know, okay. like. Whatever okay. sound they make in the horns yeah, the, and the big cow thing, yeah. <laughs> yes, big, big, well, big. I'm gonna get a tiger and I'm gonna beat everybody. I'm gonna skin a tiger out. Yeah, no, you have a tiger leech. Yak always wins. The yak, <laughs> yak. Come on, look at him. 
terrifying. Yeah. But <laughs> terrifying. Uh, go back to your original question. Yeah, you've got my um, website, flycraftangling.com. You've got yes, the sir. stillwaterflyfishingstore.com. Okay. Um, the best way people to find me is just Google Phil Rowley. The Instagram, uh, I'm on there. Uh, Facebook, and of course YouTube. Uh, now that fly tying season's on here with winter approaching, I'm trying to put a new tying video out every week on my YouTube channel. So go over there, have a look, give it a like, subscribe, all that stuff. We use awesome. Yeah, yeah, and you do have an awesome YouTube channel. Yeah. There's so much. Yeah, there's so much to pick from. Like you're like. I'm lost, and you could go to that YouTube channel and probably find figure yeah. something. You'll out. find Just, yourself. Yeah, I wasn't going to go that far. <laughs> I was, I was, I was getting there, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> Here's one more thing to spin your head with. Now you can balance a blob. Oh no! Yeah, this is it's happening. That's fake news. No, <laughs> I <didn't> do that. <laughs> that's that's actually fascinating. Yes. Yeah, the, the wheels have been turning. I've been thinking of the the, the, the still water presentation off of the tag, blob, like how to make it work, and da-da-da-da. There it is. That's right. There it is. Again, yeah. stuff I think about while staring at an indicator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true stories. I love it. I love imagine, it. Imagine how many world problems you could solve. Yeah, yeah. We're on to something. <laughs> there. Yeah. <laughs> well, Phil – Thank you very, very much for joining us again. Oh, you're welcome. We got, it's always we good got, fun. Absolutely. We got so much great information out of this. I hope listeners extract as much as they can. They probably have to listen to it a few times, which is great because yeah. there's so much information there. And, and then and then they take all this, they put it on the water, and then they learn more. It's all about experience, all about getting out in the water and putting it to practice. So yeah. and they know can a lot to you, Phil. Yeah, thank you. And they can also pick up my new book, The Orvis Guide to Stillwater Trout Fishing. All of that, the entire indicator chapter, all 7,500 words of it, of floating line, both long leader and indicator has, and my leader formula is in there as well. So, and again, right. you, can, you can pick that book up through our web store as well, and it's all autographed. And another thing to remember is all our prices are in Canadian dollars, so it's not as expensive as you think it is. <laughs> oh, right. Thank goodness. Right. 25%, 20 to 25% discount without even doing anything. So. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. our, power, our, dollar, our dollar still has power somewhere. Oh, yeah. Still like, has power. Yeah. For a couple yeah. of yeah. A couple yeah. places. Yeah. <laughs> Very many. <laughs> so, well, yeah. awesome. Thanks again, Phil. You're and, welcome. Uh, yeah. And, uh, Man, we can't look. We, we look forward to having you on again. I'm sure there's so much to talk about. We're just excited yeah. to have you on. And like we said, you know, check out all of Phil's stuff on his website, YouTube channels, etc. A lot to learn there. So awesome. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I look all forward right. to coming down now and finding a decent burrito and sharing a few ales with you. And absolutely. we'll go catch a fish on Pyramid. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for this uh, episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies. And until next time, tight lines. Mm -hmm.